The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, hey, uh, my name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at LifePoint Church. If you're a guest with us this morning, let me welcome you. Uh, We are in part two of a two-part series, uh, Gospel-Centered Families. Uh, And so today we're going to be moving forward, talking about some practical things to help us uh, center our lives not only around the gospel, but around a love for Jesus Christ that would then uh, transform into our children and our children's children, hopefully generation after generation. So if you have Bibles, you can open those up to Deuteronomy 6. It's where we were last week. Uh, We're going to be moving around a little bit, but that's going to be our main text. Our hope uh, for this series uh, ultimately is to help your family and to help us as a church family thrive in loving God and ultimately making disciples. Did you know that that's what Jesus calls us into is making disciples? Somebody say amen to that. All right. So so here we are. We believe a church body is really only as strong and only as effective as the families within that body, uh, which is why we must keep the gospel at center. Are you with me on that? And so we want to keep the center of the scriptures, the gospel, as the center of our family and as the center of the church. Now, the word gospel is kind of a tricky word, but at the core, it just simply means good news. It means good news. And the good news of the gospel, it starts with God. So there's an all-knowing, all-creator, all-loving God who created everything and everyone for his Glory. That is the root of the scriptures. Everything was created by God and for God. But here's the bad news. We think that our way is better than God's way. We think our ways are higher than God's ways. We think we know best. And so we all, whether at one time or currently, have walked away from the glory of God and his great love for us. And so claiming to be wise, we become fools and think that we're going to find hope, happiness, purpose, and fulfillment within our lives outside of God, namely making ourselves God. And so this is what the Bible calls is sin. And every one of us have sinned. Every one of us have fallen into that path. Every one of us are guilty. Now, here's the bad news on top of the bad news. If that's not bad enough, right, there's nothing that you can do within yourself to fix it. There's nothing that you and I can say, nothing that you and I can do, no type of religion or obedience that we can walk in to somehow reconcile ourselves back to God. The Bible would actually call us dead men. And so here's the deal. God, being holy and just, cannot allow sin against him to go unpunished. And so God sends his only son in the flesh, crushing him for our sins. Jesus comes, he lives the perfect life that we cannot live, and God kills him because that is what we deserve. But on the third day, God rose Jesus from the grave. Amen? And the Bible says that the same spirit 
that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in your mortal body, now dwells in you. And so here's the deal. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we not only are reconciled back to God through the cross, but now we are filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with God on a daily basis. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to all who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And it says that we don't become children of God because of the will of man. We don't come the children of God because of the will of flesh. It's not like we earn it or we deserve it or we try really hard to make it. It says that we become children of God through him. Meaning, meaning, meaning that we become children by God. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jesus the righteous dies for the unrighteous, so the unrighteous, when they put their faith in them, can be made complete and whole. Now, this is the gospel, that you and I, through faith, have right standing before God for eternity. And because of the great love which with Hitch, he loved us. He made us alive together with Christ. That's the good news. Now listen to me. Because that's the gospel. And you never, 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 never outgrow the gospel. You never think... Okay, that's the news by which I get saved, and then I just simply move on to something else to try and do good works in my life, that that's how I'm transformed, that that's how I'm, I'm growing in that. No, it is the gospel that justifies us. It is the gospel that transforms us. It is the gospel that changes us. It is the gospel that shapes us. It is the gospel that moves us forward into Christ-likeness. The gospel must never be something that you just receive once, like you punch your ticket to heaven and then go on trying to work without God. No, no, no. The gospel is our strength. In every moment, the gospel is our hope in every moment. Listen, we never outgrow our need to hear, receive, and stand in and preach to ourselves the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what makes the gospel so phenomenal is that it bears fruit. You know what makes the gospel so great? It's grace. Say grace. Grace is the component that makes the gospel such good news. Grace is an unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God toward those who believe in Jesus Christ. Now listen to me, because that is the opposite of religion. Because religion says, do this so that you'll be accepted. But the gospel says, no, no, it's done in Christ. Religion says, no, no, do these things so that you would be accepted by God. But the gospel says you are accepted by trusting the perfect, finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Now, people are like, dang, dude, you're really fired up about this. Yes, let me tell you. Let me tell you why I'm so passionate about the gospel. Because 
the longer I serve as a pastor, the longer I'm around Christians, the more I listen, the more I watch, the more I engage, the more I'm aware of a devastating truth. And the truth is this, is that most Christian families and most Christian homes and most Christian men or women do not know or cannot explain the gospel. They don't know it, and they can't explain it. Now, let me tell you why that's such a tragedy. You're like, what's the big deal? Let me tell you why it's such a big deal. It's because if we don't know the gospel, and we cannot explain the good news of Jesus, what happens is that Christianity gets hijacked by moralistic religion. And churches and families who call themselves Christian families or a Christian home don't keep the gospel of Jesus at center. And what happens is we raise up a generation of, of kids who believe that their acceptance toward God is based on performance in their life and not the work of Jesus Christ. And so they're just trying to perform, trying to please, trying to make happen, trying to muster up some type of righteousness of their own so that God would accept them. And listen, in the end, we have families that walk away from God or they walk the line. They either walk away from God or they walk the line morally knowing what's right and what's wrong morally can judge the world based on what they've been taught growing up. Maybe they can even quote a Bible verse or two that they learned in Sunday school, but they do not have a relationship with Jesus. They do not know God. They don't know Jesus as Savior, and they're not driven by love, but rather they live their life in fear and guilt. And so what happens when the gospel is not center is we will raise up thousands of good Boys and girls who go to church but do not know the joy of the Lord that is found in Jesus Christ. And when it's all said and done, listen to me, Jesus will say, I don't know you. So if we don't know the gospel and we can't explain the gospel to our children or to those around us, we are leading people to destruction. And so what happens when we don't know the gospel and we can't explain the gospel, we can't do the very thing that God told us to do, which is make disciples. And we can teach people about religion, and we can teach people about morality. We can give them the list of rules and say, hey, this is the list. You've got better follow. But we can't make gospel-centered disciples, which then love God and help others love God. The gospel is the number one thing to make disciples that God tells us to do. Matthew 28, you know it. Go and make disciples. Teaching them all that I've committed. Tell them the gospel. Romans 1, it says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. The gospel is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 15 says the gospel is actually the first importance. If you don't get the gospel, nothing else matters. It's the most important thing. 2 Corinthians 5, it says that you have been saved and redeemed. You've been given a new life in Christ so that you can be ambassadors for the gospel. That's why you came to Christ. That's why God grabbed hold of your heart. That's why God revealed himself to you so that you could come to know Jesus, so that you could be an ambassador for the gospel. 
Colossians 1.6, it says the gospel is actually what bears fruit in you, and the gospel is what changes the whole world. So our aim as a family and as LifePoint Church is to be so centered on the gospel, to have hearts that are so fueled by this good news of grace in Jesus that it overflows into those around us, namely our families, our children, our coworkers, our neighbors. And so here's the deal. Loving God is what we're after. Not moralism, not religion, loving God with all our hearts. Well, why? Because, because love drives the bus. I mean, we talked about it last week, right? I mean, you don't do what you know to be right and wrong. You do what you love. It, love, it drives the bus. And so this is to be a gospel-centered family, it starts with a love for God. Look in Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love. Everyone say love. love. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Say heart. With all of your soul. Say soul. With all of your might. Say might. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Listen, our primary purpose in helping our children, our families, our people around us to know God is to love God. That's the call. That's the commission. Love God. God loves you with such a scandalous grace. We just sang that song. With such a scandalous love that that love begins to create a fire within your heart for a love for God. So we don't just muster this up. We understand the gospel that he first loved us and now we love God. God's love for us creates a deep love for God which moves us into the next part. Look in verse 7 again. These words I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently. Say diligently. Teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk on the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Now listen to me, because God is not asking you to now add something to your already busy schedule. You with me on that? No, no, no. God says you need to reorient. You need to recenter what you're doing already around the love of God, around the good news of Jesus. So he's not saying, hey, on top of your busy schedule, you need to do these things. No, no, no. He's saying center all of these things that you're doing around God. So today, I want to talk to you as a family how in the world do we do this? Like, how do, how, do we, how do we build a framework by which our family becomes gospel-centered, whether we're going to the park or we're going to sporting events or whether I'm going to work or whether we're eating family? Like, like how do we, when we rise up, lay down, go here, go there, center our lives on the gospel? Well, I want to give you some clarity and I want to give you some framework on how we do that. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, uh, well, I don't have any kids. I, I'm actually single. I live in an apartment by myself. Well, listen, this is a framework by which you make disciples. 
All right? And so most people, they don't make disciples because they don't know how to make disciples or don't have any idea or thought of how do I do this. And so I want to bring some clarity within the family, within the church, even if you don't have kids. This is the model that we have adopted to make disciples. We adopted this framework from a church in Texas. But as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, I found it extremely helpful in my life. And I want to share it with you. It looks like this. Three components. Time moments, and milestones. Time, moments, and milestones. Now listen, time is the intentional rhythm of having Jesus' conversation. Time, it helps us think about, helps us talk about the saving grace that is in Jesus Christ. Moments, listen, are these unplanned times. So time is these intentional times, but moments are these unplanned times where we capture every day to have conversations to point others to Christ. Milestones. It's making those significant spiritual moments and celebrating them. It's like marking them. It's like putting a flag in the ground that says this is what we're about. And so this is what we want to do as, a, as leading our next generation. Let's talk about time. All right? You with me? Let me ask you a question. If I looked at your calendar, if you looked at your money, how you spent it, or if we were able to get a transcript of every word that you spoke over the last week or month, would talking about Jesus, thinking about Jesus, helping people trust and treasure Jesus be on the radar? I mean, would it, would it even make the list? Would it make your top ten? I mean, if we just looked at your calendar and the, the way you spend your money and we looked at what you talked about, would Jesus even be on the list? Now, the time component is about being intentional. Being intentional. Everyone say intentional. This is about being intentional. Last week we talked about how your life is teaching whether you like it or not. How many of you didn't like that part? Your life is teaching something. Your life is painting a picture. Your life is teaching what you love and what you value. Everyone is discipling. The question is, what are you making disciples in? What are you teaching others? And so making gospel-centered disciples, listen, doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. You must be intentional. Listen, husbands, you need to be intentional with your spouse. You need to be intentional with your kids. You need to be intentional with the church. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. You just don't show up and hope something happens, you need to be intentional with that. You need to be intentional with your neighbors. You need to be intentional with those around you. Making disciples takes time. It takes intentional time. Now, I'm, not, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to put a weight on you that you can't bear because Deuteronomy just told us that you do this as you go. You make intentional efforts in what you're already doing. So I know, 
I know you got a thousand things. I know you go to work. I know you, you go to school. I know you play sports. I know you've got church. I know you've got all of these activities. But Deuteronomy says, listen, when you do those things, make sure you're intentional about the conversations that you, that you have. As you sit, as you walk, as you rise, as you lie down, use that time intentionally. Build into the rhythms some type of time to talk about Christ and the things of the gospel. Now listen, gospel-centered time with your family shouldn't just be one more thing. It should be the thing. It is the thing that you were put in place to do. Gospel-centered family is intentional, listen, and it's consistent. Say consistent. Deuteronomy 4.9, Deuteronomy 6, it uses this word diligent. Try to think about what does diligent mean. I really came down to what this is what it means. Intentionally consistent. You need to be intentionally consistent in praying for one another. You need to be intentionally consistent in sharing the word of God with those around you, namely your family. You need to be intentionally consistent about praising and thanking God for things that you're watching him do in your life. You need to be intentionally consistent being involved through gospel conversations in the church. And so here's the deal. Time is the foundation of the gospel-centered framework to lead your family and make disciples. Now, what about moments? Moments. These are about capturing random, unplanned opportunities in the course of everyday life for gospel conversation. So these are going to be things that just pop up. Are you with me on that? I mean, things that just happen that rise to the surface, and you're like, okay, this is a moment that we can talk about Christ here. All right? Jesus was excellent in this. Of course, he's the son of God, right? Luke 21, Jesus is in the temple. You may know the story. Jesus is in the temple. He's with his disciples, and he sees an old widow come and put two pennies in the offering, two mites, it says, copper coins, right? Jesus says, okay, boys, look at that. She just put in two pennies. You see that? I tell you the truth. She gave more than anyone else today, and the disciples are probably confused. Like, what are you talking about? I just saw that boy over there give, like, way more than that. What are, you, what are you talking about, right? And Jesus, he takes the opportunity to center the disciples' lives on kingdom economics. He says, listen, no, no, God doesn't value the amount. God values the heart of the giver. She gave all that she had. He, he says, he said, God doesn't, doesn't want the money. He wants the heart of of the children. That's the gospel. Now, Jesus didn't see that, right? Write out a four-point sermon and say, hey, I want to talk to you guys, right? right? Next week, come on Sunday, I'll talk to you about the mice. No, in that moment, he says, did you see that? This is the gospel, that God is after your heart, not after your performance. He took it. Or, or how, about, how about Mark chapter 10? Mark chapter 10, famous story where a rich young ruler comes to Jesus you know this one? Rich guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, good teacher, he says. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God alone. Do you think I'm God? Or do you think I'm just a good man? Well, knowing that he's God, he says, he says you know. You know what you should do. Keep the commandments. You know the law. 
And this, the, the, the rich guy, he like gets puffed up and he's like, oh, that's it? Awesome. He's actually, I've known the law since I was a kid and I've kept them. Liar, right? Oh, I've done all of those things. I've obeyed it all. And Jesus says, oh, okay. Oh, one thing. I want you to sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. The Bible actually says that he left heartbroken because he was unwilling to do that. Heartbroken. Now, Jesus then captures that moment with his voice. He takes his disciples and he helps them understand. You know, to own things, that's okay. But to be owned by things, that's not okay. Don't you see how this guy was owned by things of this world and wasn't willing to sacrifice the temporary for the eternal? That's the gospel, that Jesus came so that we could have eternal life. He says, there's a way to be wealthy and free, and there's a way to be wealthy and enslaved. He took the moment that was right there and taught about the kingdom of God. That's what I mean by moments. All right, parents, you'll like this one. Mark chapter 10, later on, Jesus is again with his disciples, and two of the disciples are brothers, right? So they fight. And so two of the brothers get in a fight. Anybody, parents out there, have siblings that fight with each other? Mm. Perfect parents. Love it, love it, love it. So here's the deal. Uh, they, they get into a fight, and uh, they're, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Your kids do that? Oh, yeah. They're talking about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus, in the moment, stops them and says, actually, the greatest among you is going to be the least of you. He says, he says, he says I want to talk to you about the authority of the world and what the world values is actually upside down. And so I want to talk to you about godly values, kingdom values. Jesus says, whoever is the servant of all, that's going to be the greatest. Whoever exalts himself, that person's going to be the last. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He actually says, I'm the greatest because I came to give my life as a ransom for many. He begins to teach in the moment. He captures this gospel moment when the kids are arguing. And he says, no, 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 listen. This is the gospel that I would lay down my life so that you can have it. Nothing's yours. It's all God's. And so let me give you a, a practical example. Last year, um, I invited a friend who had recently started coming to the church uh, out to coffee. And uh, yeah, it was intentional. And so I had him out for coffee. And uh, when we sat down, he said, Eric, thank you so much. And I thought, oh, man, uh, it's the least I can do. I mean, it's a coffee. It was $11.50 for your coffee, but, uh, you know, it, it's not a big deal. Yeah, he got one of those um, specialty coffees that you get, like, at, the, at Starbucks or whatever. You know, it's the kind of coffee that the teenager girl gets when she walks in with dad's credit card. She's like, I want a unicorn frappuccino. I don't even know what that is. I just, I know it's got a lot of colors and stuff in it. And, and so, yeah, I buy him $11 coffee, and, um, and he says, like, no, 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 I'm not talking about the coffee. I'm talking about um, teaching me about prayer, and he's, he's new to the church, so I'm like, man, I, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm trying to think about the last couple of weeks. I'm like, I didn't really talk about prayer very much, so I asked him, I'm like, well, what are you, what are you talking about? He said, 
He said, actually, last week after, uh, after service, we were walking on the way out, and I was talking to you about some of the struggles that I was having. And he said, he said right there, it was kind of unique. It caught me off guard, actually. He says, right there, you stopped, and you put your hands on my shoulders, and you said, I'm going to pray for you right now. He, he said, listen, I, I've grown up in church. I've listened to sermons. I've, I've gone to Sunday school. He says, but in that moment, I learned what prayer was. I learned the importance of prayer. Not only did I learn the importance, I learned how to pray. I learned what to pray. I learned when to pray. And you, you, you kind of taught me how to like step down into the struggles of another. You, you, you talked about how, how we needed God to help shift our focus off temporary things and onto the eternal promise, promises of God. And, and so listen, parents, families, people, you never know when you're going to have a gospel-centered moment. And so here's the question by the great theologian Eminem. <laughs> Will you capture it or just let it slip? You better lose yourself in the moment. You own it. Never let it go. You only get one shot. If not, miss your chance to blow. An opportunity. Oh, sorry. Back to it. Where was I? Oh, yeah. You better capture it, right? And now, here's a, here's a, few, a few keys in capturing these gospel-centered moments, okay? If you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first key to capturing the moment is to ultimately anticipate it. Anticipate the moment. Okay, think ahead on what inevitably is going to happen within your life, within the life of your children, like dishonesty, Anyone kids dishonest time to time? They will be, and you're going to catch them in it. And, and so anticipate this conversation about dishonesty or guilt or shame. That moment when they're at the fancy restaurant and they spill their milk all over the table and they're covered in shame. They don't even want to talk. They can't even look at you. Listen, that is a gospel-centered moment to talk about how Jesus makes it okay that we're not based on our performance. Right? Anticipate them. Think about disobedience or suffering or when they go through temptations or when they're battling like what true friendships are or dating or marriage. It can go on and on. Anticipate the gospel conversations that are coming your way so that you can root yourself not only in the scriptures but in the grace of Christ to talk about Jesus in that moment. You with me on that? So when you see it, you anticipate it, you know it, and you can point to the gospel. Now, now, the second thing in, in capturing gospel-centered moments, not only do I anticipate it, but, but listen to me because this is a big one. Be present. So many things battle for your intention. From your phone to your own problems. And, look, look, son, I can't deal with that right now. I've got my own thing going on. I got all these other things going on. Listen, if we're not careful, distractions can cause us to miss gospel-centered moments. We have one opportunity. Be present. I can't say it enough. Be present with those around you. I can't tell you how many times I have a conversation with somebody and they're somewhere else. You know what I'm talking about? 
Like there's no eye contact. There's no like, like communication, like, like cues that are saying, okay, I'm picking up what you're saying. Listen, there's none of that. There's somewhere else. You have an opportunity to be present in the moment. Now let me tell you why that's so important. Because gospel-centered moments are accumulative in their effect, meaning they build on each other. Each gospel-centered moment is like a brick. Brick by itself is useful. But over time, dozens of moments, hundreds of moments, thousands of these gospel-centered moments, you can build a firm foundation that will last generation after generation talking about the gospel in the moment. Now, the last one is milestones. Milestones. Gospel-centered milestones. Milestones are these occasions to celebrate. Celebrate significant work of God in the life of your family, in the life of a child, in the life of those you're discipling. Let me ask you, what happens... Every time you get together with friends, whether it's a, a friend you haven't seen in a long time or someone you get together with uh, regularly, what happens every time you get together and the answer is not guacamole? Someone will inevitably start telling a story every time. And when that person starts telling a story, everyone around the table sits and waits until they're finished so that they can put their story into the mix, right? Is that what you do? They tell a story, and you're like, oh, oh, hey, remember that time? Remember when I was, oh, I remember that time where we were there and we were doing this thing. I remember when I was a kid. I remember last week. I remember when, and you tell the story. We are storytelling people. We remember. Yet, one of the evidences that not all is right in the world and in our heart, is that, is that we forget the God stories so quickly. Historically, God's people are quick to forget how good God has been to them. I mean, listen, we watch God deliver, we watch God heal, we watch God save, we watch God provide, we watch God enter into the dark storms of our life, bring light in the midst of the clouds, and show us his grace, and yet we forget about that the next time there's a storm. Anybody? Did you know 87 times in the Bible, right, God says, hey, remember Egypt? Years, I mean hundreds of years after Egypt, he says, hey, you remember Egypt? Egypt is the gospel. Remember how you were enslaved? Remember how you were in captivity? Remember how I rescued you? I brought you out of slavery, out of captivity, brought you to myself, walked you through the sea, crushed your enemies. Remember how I delivered you 87 times? Why would he tell them so often to remember Egypt? Because we forget. We're so quick to forget. We're prone to forget the goodness of God. And so when we're talking about milestones, we're talking about setting things in your life to help you remember. 
Building things into your family that helps you remember the goodness of God. Uh, flip over, Exodus chapter 12. I'll show you this real quick. So in Exodus 12, he's talking about the Passover. Now, the Passover is, is when God rescued them out of Egypt. The, the, final, the final breaking of Pharaoh was the plagues. And so there was this last plague. It's called the Passover. And he says, hey, I want you and your families to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and I want you to sacrifice it. And I want you to paint the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of your home because tonight the angel of death is coming and it's going to kill every firstborn son unless it's marked with the blood of the lamb. So these people, they paint their doorposts with the blood of the lamb. Listen, it's the gospel. Jesus dies on the cross, and death will pass over you if you take the blood of Christ and paint it over your heart and receive it by faith. He is the spotless lamb. He is the Passover lamb that saves the children from death. He says, listen, here's the Passover. Now, watch Exodus chapter 12, uh, verse uh, 24. He says, you shall observe this right. He's talking about observing the Passover, all right? He says, you shall observe this Passover as a statue for you and for your sons forever. He says, listen, you never outgrow the gospel. Right? Remember it forever. And when you come to a land that the Lord will give you, he, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. You shall remember the Passover. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Why are we observing the Passover? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Listen to the next verse. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Later on, the people, they, they cross over the Jordan, Right? They get to the other side. They're in the promised land. And God commands a man from every tribe, 12 tribes, to grab a stone and build an altar there. Why? It's an act of remembrance. Remember Egypt. Remember how I brought you to the promised land. Take a stone. Mark it out. Why? Because when your kids look at that and say, Dad, why is there a rock right there? Well, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what God, why do we observe this? Why do we do this? Why do we go through this? Well, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you, help us remember what God and his faithfulness has done. Listen, God desires to anchor you and your family and this church to himself. He wants to anchor us to his goodness and his grace. He wants to fortify us in the day in trouble, remembering that Christ has purchased it all for us. As a gospel-centered family, create milestones. Create, create these things that are going to anchor your heart in the truth of God and help you remember what he's done. Celebrate it. Remember them. Look upon them because God knows our hearts will be more likely to be encouraged when we face the day of trouble. When we can look back, we can see that he delivered so that we can walk forward knowing that he's going to deliver on whatever's next. It's remembering Christ. In the life of your family, in the life of a church, there's going to be a number of milestones. Maybe, 
Maybe for you, you can think back and you can remember a time where God delivered you through a certain trial, maybe a certain sickness. Maybe, maybe this thing that you were struggling with for so long, God delivered. Maybe for you, a, a milestone, something to celebrate in your family is that when God moved you to a new city or a new land or called you into something that was scary and you saw God's peace or you saw God's grace or you saw God's mercy triumph in the middle of that transition. Maybe, maybe for you, it's a time of remembering a, a suffering or a loss of a loved one. Or maybe, maybe you mark it when God answers a significant prayer that you and your family pray. You set a stone, you do something, and you celebrate so that you can look back and say, hey, remember when God did that? Remember when God did this? Remember when God delivered on his promise here? Now, not only are those going to be significant in the life of your family, but you need to celebrate spiritual steps as well. Things like salvation. That's a big deal. When someone comes to Christ, when someone you're leading at your work, when your neighbor, when your kids say, hey, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to put my life in Jesus. Listen, that is an epic celebration that, that re- rolls over into heaven. Maybe, maybe it's when uh, someone gets baptized. Maybe, maybe you need to mark and celebrate the first time someone prays out loud. That's a scary thing for a lot of you. I said, I've been there. I've been there at the table when, 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 when someone prays out loud for the very first time. There's a celebration for that. Maybe, maybe you need to mark an occasion where someone walks away from a, a certain habitual sin by the power of the Spirit. You, you mark that and say, listen, this is when God started to work so that you could be set free. Maybe, maybe it's, it's marking and celebrating the first time that you step out in faith and give, or you step out in faith and serve, or you step out in faith and you go somewhere that you weren't really planning on going, but God is leading you. Maybe, maybe you need to celebrate the first time that someone shares the gospel. People grow up in church all the time and never share the gospel. Listen, if your kids can't share the gospel within the family, they're not going to share the gospel outside of it. Teach your kids how to share it, how to talk about it. They learn that from you. How are you going to mark the occasions? How are you going to celebrate the work of God and his grace? gospel Center families look back in remembrance, all right? gospel Center families, intentional time, capturing moments, and marking and celebrating milestones. Now, we can't do that perfectly, That's why we're so thankful for the grace of Christ and his cross. One thing that we do here at this church to help us remember the cross, remember Jesus, remember the gospel as we partake in communion. And it's just simply this. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And after he gave thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. You see, you deserve wrath, you deserve pain, you deserve punishment, you deserve to be separated from God, but my body is going to be broken so that you can be healed, so that you can be restored. He says, take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and he says, this is my blood. This is going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you take, every time you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. When you gather together in my name, remember my sacrifice. Remember my goodness. Remember my grace. Do it in remembrance of me.
And so today, as we close, as the band comes, and we get an opportunity to respond, and maybe there's something in your life that you just simply need to lay down. Maybe there's something in your life that you just need to repent of. Maybe there's something in your life that you'd say, God, I need your grace. I need your mercies again. And as you come to the table, remember that it was his body broken and his blood shed for you. All right, the way we do this here is that uh, we'll just ask that you, you come around the back and down through the middle. There's several uh, areas where you can partake in communion. You can make your way on up to the front, take communion as a family today if you'd like. Uh, take communion in the front. Uh, there's trash cans here on the side. You can dispose of the cups uh, and then make your way around back uh, to your seats. But I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that we would take time, that we would capture moments, and that we would set milestones so that we can grow as a gospel-centered family and a gospel-centered church. You with me on that? All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this family. I thank you for even the times that I fall short as a, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor. Lord, you are perfect in every way. Lord, that your Holy Spirit never, never denies a repentant heart. Lord, you never deny a son or a daughter who comes broken and humble towards you. Lord, that today as humble moms and humble dads, humble men, humble women, humble families, God, we come and we ask that you would, you would shape us by the gospel, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would change us with your truth, that God, we would submit all things to you. We would give all things to you. We would lay ourselves down and say, God, would you take the lead? Would you be the Lord of my life? Would you be the Lord of this moment? Would you be the God of my family? Jesus, would you wash over my house with your blood? Could I, could I paint the sacrificial lamb as the milestone, milepost of, of my family, God? Would you help me do that? Holy Spirit, would you teach me, lead me in your ways? Today, we want to come open-handed. We bring nothing but desiring you. Jesus, fill us. Jesus, wash us with your righteousness. Jesus, today, we remember the gospel. We remember you. We remember your sacrifice, your body, your blood. Today, we thank you for grace. We thank you for your truth. Oh, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is a time that 